What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we have a fantastic show for you today. Uh, first, we're going to be ranking the 12 teams in the playoffs based off of how much they should be trusted. Uh, we're going to answer some of your questions, maybe recap a little bit of Week 17 in the NFL. But we also have a really special guest, which I'm really excited for, Twitter user Jameis1 of 1. Uh, he's the author of The Jameis Winston Derangement Syndrome, a book that basically details why the media has portrayed Jameis Winston as a worse quarterback than he actually is, uh, and, is should, and should be considered a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, he's defended Jameis Winston basically against everyone through the Twitter universe. He's been featured on Barstool Sports. He's been talked about on the Pat McAfee Show, as well as different media outlets in Tampa Bay. So I'm excited to talk with him uh, about his experience going through a time where many people considered him to be Tampa Bay Buccaneers GM Jason Light. Uh, and just different stories like that. But before we get into it, I've just got one thing to cover. Now, many of you know today is a pretty big day for the Not Gonna Lie podcast. It actually turns one year old today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun this past year being able to interview different guests in their sports profession and really just get a chance to talk about sports. So for all of you guys who have been with us since the beginning, a huge thank you. Really wouldn't have been able to do it without uh, your support, your listenership. Uh, it truly means a lot, and I'm excited to see where we can take this in year two. But going along with that, we have a bit of an announcement. We're actually on Patreon now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a way for different listeners and subscribers to uh, help fund podcasters in, in ways that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do before. Uh, so we put together three different tiers uh, of, of support, six-man, all-star, and MVP with different varying dollar amounts, uh, and you also get different rewards too. We're going to start rolling out a lot more merch that will be Patreon exclusive. We're going to do some some episode-specific uh, episodes for uh, the Patreon supporters and just different things like that. So if you guys want to help support uh, this podcast and want to help see us grow, feel free to go over to our Patreon. I'm going to put the link in the episode description, but it's patreon.com slash podcast. Um, all the money that you give us is going to go right back into the podcast, whether that's buying new equipment, paying for marketing, getting the word spread out there, but undoubtedly it's going to come back to benefit you because that, whether that's going to be growing our marketing so that we get more listeners and so we're able to get better guests and that sort of thing, or just more equipment, better equipment to give us an overall better sound. So if you guys, you know, would consider helping support us, be fantastic. Uh, but another way you can support us is give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review if you're enjoying what you're hearing. But now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. We are now joined by Jameis One of One a Twitter user and author of the book, The Jameis Winston Derangement Syndrome, How Media Bias Causes Us to Overlook the Start of a Hall of Fame NFL Career. How are you doing? Real good, real good. I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, well, first off, not an ideal, well, I guess uh, technically it is an ideal way to end the season for Jameis. Um, I saw a stat out there that he his first pass of his career was a pick six um, on his rookie contract with the Bucks, and his last pass on his rookie contract with the Bucks was a pick six, so it all kind of really does come full circle for him. Um, but you're you're a big Jameis guy, mate, probably the biggest. I was, is that fair to say? Well, I mean, it sort of depends how you define that. Um, I don't really consider myself a fan, per se. Um, you know, I don't have a jersey or anything like that. 
Um, I just I like to study quarterbacks, and I consider him really the most fascinating guy to study in the NFL, maybe in NFL history. I mean, he's he's just a uh, a very interesting young man to study. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I mean, entertaining at the very least. Like that's you have to admit that. But um, first off, I want to start. You mentioned Jameis Winston. You said maybe one of the most interesting uh, quarterbacks in history to study. How did you come about um, even considering writing the book on him? Um, and then uh, why Jameis, I guess? Okay, well, um, my son and I watched his first game uh, at Florida State when they played Pitt. Um, and I'm not a Florida State fan at all, but uh, you know, I just, I just like watching football. And um, we saw his first game together. And we both just thought, wow, you know, this, this kid could be something special. And, um, you know, I just made a concerted effort to follow him from that point on, follow his career, sort of study him and, and uh, figure out what I sort of would project his career to be like. Um, and as the years went on, you know, I mean, even the off-field issues are, are things that I looked into uh, because I was interested in him as a player. Mm-hmm. And so I, I looked into really everything, and I just started researching everything. Um, and honestly, research just is sort of what I do anyways. I'm, I'm a theologian, and most of my writing is, is um, theological topics. So I enjoy research. It's fun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's fun for me. I'm a theologian, and, and most of my writing is on theological topics. So I just enjoy it anyways. Um, but as I followed him throughout his career, you know, I just found him more and more and more fascinating. And then as I saw, you know, sort of what the media did with him and how they would, would uh, treat him and spend things, he became even more fascinating. So the book isn't something that I really planned. It was really more just, um, you know, I did a lot of research on him. I had a lot of stats already compiled. And as his career progressed, you know, the book sort of just came naturally. I mean, it started out as I was going to just write an article. Um for a, uh, a Tampa website, and it started out like a you know ten page article or whatever, and it just got bigger and bigger. And I thought, you know what, let's let's do a book. So um, so I did it. Yeah, and another thing uh, that's pretty interesting about you, you're not really um, you're not really putting your face out there. That's something that you've kind of made an effort to do. Um, keep your identity. Obviously, um, uh, Jameis One of One is your Twitter Twitter username, but you know we don't really we don't really know much about the person behind um Jameis one of one and wh- why is that that you want to keep uh, your identity a secret as opposed to uh building something because obviously you've gotten a, a pretty good following uh, over the last few months and even before that but what why is your uh staying anonymous important to you well really two reasons uh, the first is that i do just i really value um you know my anonymity i, I don't have any desire to be famous or, or anything like that it just doesn't appeal to me um I just enjoy privacy. I'm, I'm sort of one of those people that would, you know, rather live in the middle of nowhere with just some animals <laughs> around, you mm-hmm. know, than, than, yeah. than a city. Um, the, the second reason is that I wanted the content of the book to be what's important, not the character of who wrote it. It, it. I don't matter. I mean, I don't matter at all. It's what the book says that matters. And the only reason the media and people have freaked out and tried to dox me and figure out who I am is because they can't refute a single page of the book. Mm-hmm. If they could shred the book, they wouldn't care who I was. They'd just shred the book. But they can't refute one single page of the book. So they're trying to figure out who I am so they can somehow you know, shred me. But I'm not important. The content of the book is important, and it's irrefutable. Yeah, and, and because of you wanting to remain anonymous, like you said, the media has been having a hard time figuring out anything to attack. So they figure, why not try to figure out who this guy is? And that's not only led you to some interesting conversations, but also general manager of the Bucks, Jason Liked. 
Do you mind just kind of, for the listeners that maybe don't know what happened, give just a bit of a recap? Um, and I'll ask you more questions after, but just a bit of a recap of what happened um, in the whole process of people basically accusing you of being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers general manager's burner account. Sure. Um, it actually started uh, more than a year ago when, when people accused me of being Jameis himself. And it was because I would never tweet during games. And so I made it, and that's true, I don't, but I made a concerted effort just to prove that I wasn't Jameis himself. I tweeted during one game. Mm-hmm. And so people got off that, and then they said, okay, well, you're Jameis's dad. And then it was, you're Jameis's agent. And then, you know, the, the most recent iteration is that um, I'm Jason Light, the Bucks GM. And that sort of sparked off with, um, I got into a Twitter debate with uh, the Dirty the Dirty Boys podcast. The Dirty Boys are the Dirty Guys podcast. And, um, you know, we went back and forth, and they sort of lost their cool. I, I schooled them like I do with everybody. Mm-hmm. And they decided, you know, uh, one of their hosts, they have two guys. One of them blocked me. And I guess ever since that time, you know, he's just had it out for me, and he thought he would get me. And so he started looking into things, and in his mind, you know, he determined that I was Jason White. And so they, they dropped some video on YouTube, and that got picked up you know, by Barstool Sports, Big Cat, and the Pat McAfee Show, and ESPN Radio, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people just ran with it. They just put it out there that, that Jason Light, the Bucks GM, is Jameis 101. And um, so I did an interview, and I, I said, you know, I denied it immediately. I said, no, I'm not Jason Light. And I said, I will happily do an interview where Jason Light is brought into the studio in person, just mm-hmm. so everybody, you know, they can hear me being interviewed, and Jason Light's there. And so Big Cat at Barstool, he, he hooked that up for me, and um, I did an interview with him, and he had Jason Light stop by the studio to prove that I wasn't Jason Light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that's actually where I first caught um, word of you was actually through that, that whole Barstool interview. Um, and I thought it was just interesting, like from from when I first heard um, the idea, because this whole season, I mean, we've really been on the podcast. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say, and, I, and I'm sure you've got the stats to, to, to prove otherwise, but I wasn't ready to say, you know, maybe Hall of Fame career, but he's undoubtedly like a really good quarterback, uh, an, an interesting player an entertaining player at the very least, but obviously hearing, seeing some of the stuff you posted on Twitter, um, following you and then reading it, reading in, I got, you know, more and more converted to the idea that, Hey, Jameis is, um, a pretty good quarterback, but I guess through this whole media storm that you've gone through, what, what's been your, your favorite part or like maybe your favorite interview or just overall experience. Cause you've been picked up by, uh, by some pretty substantial, like like you mentioned, some pretty substantial um, media outlets. Yeah, um, I mean, I have a lot of respect for the for the uh, Barstool guys. Um, for Big Cat. You know, I had an interview right when the book came out, I mean, before the whole Jason Light Burner thing, right when the book came out, there were people that recognized, you know, this book's irrefutable. It, there, there hasn't been a book written like this before. There hasn't been, I don't know about any quarterback that a book's been written like this with the, the mountain of statistical evidence that's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sports Illustrated contacted me immediately and offered to interview me. Within a couple of days, somebody had talked to them and they pulled the interview. So the media has been on to my book for a long time, and <laughs> it's a very touchy subject because I torched the media in the book. So, you know, to, to sort of promote my book is also to sort of, you know, torch your peers. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of media won't touch it. A lot of Tampa media that has read the book and that has liked the book, they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to promote it. They're not going to touch it because it, it torches their peers. So um, I have a lot of respect for the Barstool guys because they brought me on and they just, they even, you know, tried to debate me and that didn't go well for them, um, <laughs> you yeah. know, but I have a lot of respect for them for that. 
ESPN Radio had me on, and that was great. Um, the Pat McAfee show offered me an interview, and then they watched the Barstool interview. And Pat McAfee himself got a hold of me and said, brother, we're not having you on. And, uh, and I said, okay, okay. I mean, I understand. You know, he doesn't want to look bad to his audience. Anybody who engages with me in a debate um, is not going to come out looking good. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing that's, that's interesting to me at least because obviously putting out a claim like that um, puts you, you know, because like you said, with the media and the way he's portrayed and um, even some of the mistakes that he makes, you know, turnover-wise on the field, it's a pretty controversial topic. Like, no, you can't just throw, you know, you can't just throw that around there without having uh, anything to back it up, which obviously you do. But it's just interesting to me, uh, you know, I guess, like you said, it does attack members of the media. Um, by the way, like I said, the book we're talking about, Jameis Winston, Derangement Syndrome, How Media Bias Causes Us to Overlook the Start of a Hall of Fame NFL Career. Um, go check it out. It's on Amazon. I was actually looking um, on Amazon for like at your reviews and that sort of thing, and it's pretty interesting. I think um, out of all the ones that you have, there's only one that's a three-star, but the rest, like it's, it's split in the middle. It's half five, half one. So even even amongst uh, you know regular fans, you're basically they they love you or they absolutely hate you, uh, or or think you're 100 percent wrong. So how do you deal with? I mean, just that extreme ranges of of public feedback. Well, yeah, the the, the book reviews actually, um, I kind of love it because like I could I could file like a complaint and have the negative ones pulled off because the negative ones are never actually about the book. They're from mm. people who probably haven't even read the book. And, you know, I challenge anybody, you know, go read the reviews that are on my book and then just pick any other book written by an athlete. I mean, Tim Tebow is very polarizing. You know, go read the reviews on his book. I, I don't know if there's another book out there with the sort of reviews mine have. I mean, the reviews are insane. One guy posted a pornographic picture of, of, uh, of a drawing he made of Jameis. You know, people are rav- raving about crab legs. I mean, the reviews are just insane. And the reason I, I've never contested any of them or, or contacted Amazon to pull them is because they're proof that the book title is, is perfect and that Jameis Winston derangement syndrome absolutely exists. I mean, people are, are just insane when it comes to how they view this young man. Um, so, I mean, I get a kick out of it. People, you know, trolls contact me constantly. I mean, my, my DMs and my inbox is just filled with just all sorts of nonsense mm-hmm. every day. And... Um, and I know everybody's just sort of trying to get a rise out of me. And I, t- I tell everybody, I mean, I'm basically impossible to offend. You can read all 23,000 plus of my tweets. I never curse at anybody. I never freak out. I just have fun with Twitter. You know, and people lose their minds. They, they try to debate <laughs> me. I give them a fact that they don't like, and they just they just go nuts. Yeah, that and that's the thing uh, that I, I, w- I kind of wanted to transition into here. You mentioned, I mean, it, it doesn't bother you, and I don't think it should. I mean, it makes sense that, you're just the one writing the book. Um, I mean, you, you, I'm, I'm assuming you have to feel uh, for Jameis and people because they're really attacking him in a sense, I guess, in, you know, in a roundabout way. Not necessarily you, by you're just the one defending him. But have you have you been contacted by Jameis? Like, have you been able to talk to him or, or, or Jason like the Tampa Bay Bucks GM? Or have you had contacts within guys connected to the Buccaneers organization? Um, that that isn't something I talk about. I mean, one of the things that I, I never do, I never name drop, uh, I never brag about my access. Um, I got into a little Twitter back and forth with Pat Donovan, 
And he started dropping names like it was going to impress me. And, and I said, Pat, none of that impresses me. You don't know who I know. You don't know who I hang out with. You don't know who I talk to. You don't know the access I have. And I'm not going to brag about it because it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, like I said earlier, I mean, I'm not important. The content of my book is important. No one in the media can refute a single page of the book, so they try to find a way to attack me. But I get a kick out of it because it just sort of exposes them, you know, for having James Winston derangement syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, and what you said about how, you know, really people are attacking James, that's true. And, and I do feel for the young man. <clears throat> um, people have asked me, you know, why did I write the book on James instead of somebody else? And, I mean, I have defended uh, Matt Stafford for years. Uh, I've defended Carson Wentz. I've defended Philip Rivers for years. Um, and, you know, it's, it's possible that I could have written such a book about those quarterbacks, but none of them are treated the, the way Jameis is treated. None of them. And on top of that, they're just not that interesting uh, of characters to study. You know, Philip is, you know, more like me. He's got a ton of kids, and he's a, you know, a devout professing Christian, and, uh, you know, he's kind of a boring character. Matt Stafford's a boring guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Jameis is just, he, he's an exciting character study. But I get it, you know, because Jameis is not going to interact with people um, with trolls and, and haters on Twitter. I mean, that's not what he does. That's, that's just crazy. You know, he's not Derek Carr. He's not going to threaten to fight Max Kellerman. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not Baker Mayfield and going to go off on Colin Coward. But people know that I will talk, debate, engage with pretty much anybody. I mean, so, so they know that they have an outlet where they can vent and rage at me and, and try to get me to lose my cool. And it never happens, but, you know, they need it, and, and I, I let them do it sometimes. So is it fair to say that you're somewhat like uh... – Jameis Winston's bodyguard on Twitter, not necessarily physically, but um, but mentally, you're his mental bodyguard. <laughs> you could, I guess, you could look at me as like a counselor. I'm, I'm helping people overcome their issues. <laughs> That's good. It's, it's a noble cause. Uh, okay, so yeah. we, we've established uh, your path here to this point. So now we, I mean, we have to talk Jameis. Obviously, uh, achieved a, a record-breaking season: 30, 30, 30, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, and 5,000. Uh, I think 102 yards. So my first question here, Bruce Arians went on today. Uh, there was a quote I saw floating around Twitter where it was basically like, um, if we can win with with this quarterback, we can win with another quarterback. Um, what do you make of that? And if you had to put, like, what's what's an ideal offseason look like for Jameis Winston? Does he come back to the Bucks, um, or or does he move on to somewhere else? Okay. Um, first of all, I love Arians. He's he's my favorite coach of all time, or at least tied with Jimmy Johnson. I, I love Bruce Arians, um, and I have no problem with what he said whatsoever. Uh, you know, some of the media has has blown it up like he was ripping Jameis, or yeah, I mean that's the way they're going to spin everything. But what Arians said is is a captain obvious sort of statement. You know, he said, of course we can win with any quarterback. I mean, Arians won with garbage quarterbacks in Arizona. Now he also won with Carson Palmer, but he won with some trash quarterbacks and you know did the media really expect Bruce to say no you know the Glazers gave me all this money and the only guy I can win with is Jameis I'm a terrible coach of course not. you know Bruce is saying he's, he's a good coach the guy's a two-time coach of the year of course he can win with a multitude of quarterbacks um, on top of that Bruce is he keeps things close to the vest as far as the media goes um, he doesn't like the media having too much access he was really irked when Ian Rappaport uh, reported that the Bucks had guaranteed Jameis at least the transition tag you know he, he, he got upset about that um, and I don't blame him I mean he's, he's trying to run a tight ship he's trying to change the culture in Tampa he's, he, he's the sheriff you know and he doesn't want leaks getting out like that so 
So Bruce, through the whole season, has been very consistent. You know, I'm going to evaluate Jameis at the end of the year, really basically telling the media, don't ask me questions about it, I'll make my decision later. You know, and they just keep harping on him, and they ask questions in a certain way so that they can write an, uh, an article in a certain way. It's all, it's all a big game. Um, so, yeah, I have no problem with what Arian said. As far as uh, Jameis' future, um, I think the Bucks would be insane to just let him go, you know, for nothing. And, and I, I don't see that happening. Um, now, I do know that there are people who would love to see, you know, uh, for Jameis, to, to see him find greener pastures elsewhere. Um, Indianapolis, for example. Oh, I'm, a, I'm 100%. You know, I'm a Colts fan. 100% would love Jameis in Indy. But, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, that's it. Um, you know, and I get contacted by Bears fans constantly, you know, that mm-hmm. they would just love to have Jameis. Also, Steelers fans contact me all the time, you know, mm-hmm. thinking he's the perfect guy to take over for Big Ben. Um, so there are people, you know, that would love to see Jameis elsewhere just for Jameis' sake. I, I don't see that happening. I think the Bucks, you know, I, I put it out there a while ago. You know, Jameis has a super agent, Joel Siegel. He's a great agent. And after Jameis became the first quarterback in NFL history, you know, to have back-to-back 450-yard games in the regular season, the first quarterback ever to have back-to-back 450-yard and four touchdown games. You know, and he did that with a broken thumb and without Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know, there's no reason for him to play these last two games. Any other quarterback who doesn't have a contract for next year, you know, would just shut it down. They'd say, hey, you know, my thumb hurts. I just I just set, you know, an all-time record. I'm done. He, he was missing, on top of his thumb being broken, he was missing his number one, his number two, and his number four receiver all out for the year. That's what he had for these last two games. So anybody would just shut it down under those circumstances. And I said, you know, Joel Siegel, if he's doing his job properly, and I, and I have no reason to believe he's not, he's a great agent, He's going to tell Tampa, you want Jameis out on the field for the last two games, you guarantee us something. So when Rappaport reported that he has a guarantee of at least the transition tag, which is projected to be $25.27 million for next year, I, I don't think Rappaport made that up out of nowhere. That's a, that's a very credible source, and he's not looking for attention. Mm-hmm. You know, Arians had a fit and said, hey, that hasn't been said, but Bruce is trying to run a tight ship. So I do see Jameis back on the tag. I think that really that's what his agent wanted all along. You know, people wonder why he doesn't have a long-term contract. Same with Dak. I think, well, I mean, of course, if, if Tampa and Dallas are just going to open up the bank vault and hand them all the cash in the world, they'd take a long-term deal. But teams aren't insane. You know, maybe the Rams are, but most teams aren't insane. Um, so I think Dak's agent and Jameis's agent both would prefer a one-year tag over a, you know, a relatively good long-term deal because the new CBA kicks in at the end of next year and the salaries could jump exponentially. So it makes a lot of financial sense to take a one-year tag and then sign a huge contract at the end of next year rather than sign a contract that's maybe you know, 85 90% of what that would be now. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. A lot of people are, I mean, even even with Dak, much, uh, you, you know, not even mentioning Jameis Winston, um, are, are just amazed at the idea that $30 million for those guys. I mean, people don't realize in two years, $30 million is going to be the average number for quarterbacks. I mean that's just that's what's going to happen because of like you said with the new CBA with it kicking in and and uh, more revenue going towards the players and that sort of thing, but uh, so do you think so? I know you said that it's it's highly likely that or it basically is uh, that that um, James Winston will come back. Do you think there's another team out there? Because I mean we've seen the issues with the Tampa Bay run defense or with the the Tampa Bay defense and their running game. Do you think there's another team that would be a better fit for Jameis? Not necessarily um, 
what will happen, but is there a team that you'd like him to go to that you think would help him elevate his play or elevate his recognition in the media? Well, I mean, as far as, like, you know, my personal desires for the young guy, um, you know, Jameis and I are, are sort of alike in the way that we sort of view the world and, and look at things. If you listen to some of his interviews, um, what he wants and what I want are identical, just simply for God's will to be done, whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, that's that's my perspective. Um, but as far as other teams, you know, I said when Arians was hired that, you know, I, I'm also, you know, the fellow that predicted Arians would be hired. And the day that he went on the radio and said that he'd take the Cleveland job, I immediately said he wants the Tampa job. And people went nuts. How do you know that? And you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And I said he can't talk about the Tampa job because Dirk Cutter's still employed. And that's just part of the coach's code. You don't talk about another man's job. Cleveland at the time only had an interim coach. And so Arians was just putting it out there, hey, I'm available, but he wants the Tampa job. I said, if Jason Light offers him the Tampa job, he'll take it. And that's exactly what happened. Um, however, I also said that <clears throat> when Arians got hired, while he, I think he's the perfect coach for Jameis as a person, I don't think his system fits Jameis really at all. Jameis is, is just magnificent outside the pocket. Is just He's elite throwing on the run. Mm-hmm. I think there are many, you know, there's systems that would fit him better. But Jameis isn't going to complain. He's going to go out there and do what he does. Um, and I love the Arians-Jameis, you know, combo. I, I would love to see them stick together. But I do think there are better fits for Jameis for sure. Um, and as far as, you know, if the, the Bucks let him hit free agency, and even if they put him on the transition tag, which allows other teams to negotiate um, rather than the franchise tag, I do think there's going to be a bidding war. I think the Chargers, the Bears, and the Colts are, are going to throw the vault at Jameis. Um, and if the Bucks don't think that and they want to they risk it and they want to put the transition on, tag on them, that's up to them. But they definitely could watch him walk out the door because the Colts are ready to win now. Mm-hmm. All they need is a legit quarterback. Yeah. And I like Jacoby Brissett. I mean, I, I like him. He, he's, a, he's a nice young man. He's a, he's a good quality backup. Um, you know, he's, he's over-exceeded, you know, his draft position already. He's had a nice little career for himself. But four touchdown passes in the last nine games. Yeah, and he only went over 165 passing yards in three of those games. I mean, he he's not what <laughs> you know. He's not carrying that team. Uh, Andrew could have, you know, had Andrew not retired, and I'm I'm sad he did because I love that young fellow too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Jameis plays like Andrew, and I and I I think the Colts would sort of move heaven and earth to bring Jameis in. I think the Bears would go crazy for him. I think the Chargers uh, would look at it as sort of a um, a two for one deal. Because right now, I think the Chargers are probably going to let Rivers walk, and they're going to use their number six pick on the draft on Justin Herbert. However, if you can get Jameis for nothing, you know you don't have to trade picks and stuff. If, you, if, if the Bucks are stupid enough to just let him hit for agency, and the Chargers can just sign him without mm-hmm. losing a draft pick, they can use that number six pick on Andrew Thomas, and they can lock their offensive line down, which is also a huge problem. So I think in the Chargers' mind, they'd say, well, Jameis and Andrew Thomas is a heck of a lot better than just drafting Justin Herbert, who could be the next Ryan Leaf. We don't know. Yeah. No, you're you're preaching to the choir with uh, Jacoby Brissett and Andrew Luck over here. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you said you said he threw four touchdown passes in the nine game in the last nine games. Unfortunately, I watched every one of those nine games, and it's a lot worse than just throwing out a stat, but actually physically watching it. I mean, my my mindset, and I'll actually talk about it um, here in a bit, like well, later on uh, with with the whole Jacoby Brissett thing. Is I I still thought going into week seventeen he had a chance. Like I thought. This was basically like he's playing for his job here. His back's against the wall. He needs a big performance. And two fumbles inside the 20-yard line within four plays of each other that basically blew the game open. 
basically sealed his fate. Uh, but yeah, 100% with you. They're on Jacoby Reset, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so anyways, back to James. Well, Sorry. Let, let, let me real quick just say, I also think it's interesting that, um, you know, the Colts have that pick right ahead of the Bucks. They've got the 13th pick, mm-hmm. and the Bucks have the 14th pick. And, you know, there's been talk, there's, there's one fella in the Tampa media that has said that the Bucks uh, are interested, or Arians himself is interested in Jacob Eason out of Washington. That's a guy I think the Colts could take at 13 right ahead of Tampa. Um, but it, but in, the same, in the same breath, if the Colts have the choice between getting Jameis for nothing and then using that number 13 pick on a playmaker, mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense than just taking a flyer on Jacob Eason, who also could turn out to be a bust. And, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't shown much. He hasn't played much. I think he's only got, like, 19 games under his belt. So, same with the Chargers. I mean, if you can get a two-for-one, if you can get Jameis without losing a pick and then use your pick on an actual player you need, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. No, the one thing I, I did see um, Bleacher, Report, uh, Bleacher Report's Matt Miller put out a mock draft where the Colts took Ruggs, the wide receiver out of um, Alabama, and then Jordan Love because we have the Redskins' second-round pick, which I, I'm just worried because I don't think – um, I, I do think there's still more holes on the team, um, and that's I'm and I'm worried. I'm hesitant to go quarterback first round. I would love to get like if Jameis walks, sign him in free agency because we've got m- money should be burning a hole in our pocket, but it's not as far as cap room goes. Um, but I'd I'd much rather because this team, like you said, win now. I'd much rather sign a guy like a, a Jameis or even maybe even Teddy Bridgewater. I don't, they may be too close, uh, Jacoby Brissett and Teddy Bridgewater in their style of play, but. I'd feel a lot safer than than handing it all over to, uh, yeah, a, a new rookie quarterback. But I don't know. It, we'll we'll have to see what happens. Um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully it works out there. But okay, I've got a, a couple more James Winston questions here. Um, a lot in early in his career, or at this point in his career, he's been uh, compared to two other legends, Brett Favre and Peyton Manning, and they both, all three of them, through the first few years of their career had a lot of turnovers, like an insane amount that would have called for them to lose their starting jobs uh, had they played in today's era at this point. What makes you believe that James Winston will make that next step to uh, eliminating the turnovers that he he has? Well, yeah, um, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Favre um, because uh, Holmgren had, had revealed that the majority of the coaching staff in Green Bay wanted to bench Brett Favre and insert Mark Brunel as the starter. It was Holmgren who said, no, we're not doing that. This kid's too special. So, yeah, you know, had Favre, it has, if Favre was playing in today's day and age, I mean, he would be the white Jameis. He would be, mm-hmm. you know, crushed on Twitter constantly. He'd be that guy. And Peyton Manning, you know, with his 100 interceptions in his first five years, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as uh, what leads me to believe in Jameis, um, the way I do, I, I don't have the non-realistic view of Jameis. I mean, a lot of people, they – they have heard of my book. They haven't read it. So they, they think that I say Jameis is a Hall of Famer, and they kind of lose their minds about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the book doesn't say he is a Hall of Famer. It just simply says that he's on a statistical Hall of Fame pace. You know, for all I know, you know, or anybody knows, you know, he could suffer a career and an injury in the first game next year and just, you know, be done. So it just it proves that he's on a statistical Hall of Fame pace when compared with all other Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, and it also uses error-adjusted metrics and data to do that. You know, and so anybody who says, well, you know, he's just a Jameis guy and he's just he's biased for Jameis, nobody is going to use error-adjusted st- data if they're biased for Jameis because the error-adjusted data makes him look far, far worse than just using counting stats would. 
I could have made Jameis look way better in my book if I wanted to, if I wanted to skew stats and stuff, but that's not what I did. I simply used the stats that are there and slid Jameis in. Sometimes he ranks number two in an area, sometimes he ranks 22. You know, he just he just slots in where he slots in. So anybody who's actually read my book and looked at it knows there, there's no bias. Um, and, you know, using error-adjusted stats proves that. Um, as far as, you know, what I see as future, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy, you know, that's going to finish top ten in interception percentage. Um, you know, Favre really never was that guy. I think maybe one year in Minnesota he was when he had Adrian Peterson behind him. Um, but the reason for that is whoever Jameis' coach is, you know, whether it's Frank Reich next year or whether it's Arians again or whoever, they're always going to put the ball in his hands and say sling it because that's the talent he is. Mm-hmm. No coach is going to turn him into a game manager. I mean, if all you want is a game manager, go sign Teddy Bridgewater. You know, the guy struggles to throw for 225 yards. Jameis can throw for 300 in his sleep. So wherever he goes, he's going to be, you know, asked to carry the offense. And when that happens, turnovers happen. So I don't think he's ever going to be outside, you know, the, the top, or I'm sorry, inside the top 10 in interception percentage, et cetera. But, you know, you're talking about a young guy that's, you know, number one in yards, number two in touchdowns. And the bigger stat to me really is he's leading the third scoring offense in the NFL despite having no run game, mm-hmm. none. <laughs> you know, that that's pretty remarkable to me. Um and then when you look at his his advanced metrics, those are all extremely impressive too. And he, he basically blows Patrick Mahomes away across the board. And I love Mahomes. I think Mahomes is an elite Hall of Fame level talent for sure. But when you look at the advanced metrics, Jameis blows him away. So I definitely believe in the young man's future as much now as I ever have, maybe more. Uh, the 30 for 30 thing doesn't bother me at all. That actually, uh, you know, I well, I won't say who I communicated with, um, but I was, I was talking with somebody and um, – I told him, I said, don't get down about this. You know, yes, the media is spinning this in a negative negative fashion. They're, they're using the 30-30 as a bad thing. It's terrible, blah, blah, blah. Eleven other times, quarterbacks have thrown 30-plus interceptions in a season. It's just that none of them ever also threw 30 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They all had less. Yeah. So at least 11 other times in history, those quarterbacks wished they could have started the 30-30 <laughs> club like James. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they just didn't have the opportunity. No, that, that makes a lot right. of sense because um, I remember seeing – was it through before age twenty six? Jameis has the mo- he's the most in touchdowns and passing yards. He has the most before. Is that right? Uh, he's number one in in passing yards by a lot, and he's number two in touchdowns to uh, Marino. Oh, okay, yeah. So statistically, I mean, if you just take the the most basic stats that are used to measure uh, a quarterback's ability to play quarterback in the NFL, I mean, he's on pace already. Um, but yeah, like you said. There, I mean, we, we don't really know what's going to happen, but I've just got a few more questions here. Um, so how much of Jameis Winston's stats and, and big games can be attributed to having basically, in my opinion, a top three wide receiver duo in the league in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans? How much of that is them and how much of that is, is him? That's a good question. Um, that's a good one. <laughs> I just uh, remind people that you know, Jameis was the first quarterback in NFL history to start his career with back-to-back 4,000-yard seasons. Godwin wasn't there. You know, Evans was really young, and he was there along with basically nothing else. Mm-hmm. So on top of that, in 2017, you know, Godwin really, again, he, he was there, but he was, you know, just a, a young fella not doing much. In 2017, Jameis led the entire NFL in 300-yard games, even though he only played 11 full games because he had a nasty throwing shoulder injury. And he played through injury in a bunch of the other games. But he still led the NFL in 300-yard games. Um, 
2018, he likely would have also had over 5,000 yards, you know, had he played the full season. As far as Evans and Godwin go as talents, you know, Evans is a generational-type talent. He's magnificent. Um, however, that was sort of a narrative that, you know, it's because of Evans that Jameis is succeeding. People don't realize when Evans went down for the season, Brashard Perryman, Brashad Perryman replaced him. Brashad Perryman, you know, for years has been considered uh, basically a terrible draft bust. Mm-hmm. I like the young fella, I do. But that's what he's been considered, just a nothing. <laughs> he put up better stats than Mike Evans did. Better. Mm. So in his last three, you know, Brashard got three starts, as the, you know, the number one or number two guy towards the end of the year. He had 17 catches for 349 yards and four touchdowns. That works out to basically, you know, a 95-catch season and over 1,700 yards and, like, 21 touchdowns. Those numbers blow Mike Evans' numbers away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's Rashad Perryman with Jameis. As far as Godwin goes, Godwin was a third-round pick, you know, just like a guy like Michael Gallup. He comes in, and he's putting up huge numbers with Jameis. Jameis is the only quarterback giving two different receivers huge numbers. And then the big one, the big star, Mike Evans goes down, Rashad Perryman steps in, puts up better, better numbers than Mike Evans. Jameis Winston has always been, for his entire life, a kingmaker. Um, Kelvin Benjamin, you know, Jameis turned him into a superstar, got him to be a first-round pick in the NFL, and what happened without Jameis, he busted. He's out of the NFL now. Rashad Green, Jameis got him drafted. Where is he now? He's out of the NFL. Nick O'Leary, Jameis made look like a star in college as a tight end. Where is he now? I think he's somewhere, sitting the bench somewhere. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you look at Adam Humphreys, an undrafted rookie for agent, that Jameis got paid. He got a huge contract from the Titans. Cam Brayton, undrafted rookie for agent out of Harvard, that Jameis got paid. There's a reason that Jameis' teammates love him. You know, he gets people paid. He's a kingmaker. And he doesn't care about his own stats. I remember the game, I think it was the last game of 2017 against the Saints. He came in, he had 18 touchdowns to just eight picks. It was his best touchdown to interception ratio of his career. And Mike Evans told him, I want 1,000 yards. Mike had been banged up that year. And he needed, I think, I can't remember how many yards, but he needed quite a few yards to get to 1,000. And Dirk Cutter said, yeah, we want to get Mike that, that record. Jameis just slung the ball at Mike the whole game. <laughs> he threw three picks, so his, you know, it killed his stats. It hurt mm-hmm. his passer rating. And at the end of the game in the interview, he was so happy. He was just beaming that he got Mike his record. You know, his teammates love him for a reason. Jameis doesn't care about stats at all. He goes out there, he plays for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think... Evans is a generational talent. I expect him to be in the Hall of Fame one day if he doesn't suffer injury. Godwin, I think, is one of the hardest workers. There's not, there's no diva in him. I, I love that young guy. Um, so I'm not going to say Jameis made either one of them, but I'm definitely not going to say they made him either. I think they're they're a, a wonderful trio. I think they all like each other a lot on and off the field. And um, that's really those two guys are, are the primary reason I'd love to see Jameis stay in Tampa because I think they have something special going. All right, we got one last question here before we let you go. Um, we, I mean, we talked about it. You know, if Jameis stays, if Jameis goes, what does what do the Bucks need? Like, w- whether it's free agency or draft, what are just even one or two things that they need to uh, ensure that you know ensure success or maybe make a run at the playoffs next year? Uh, because honestly, the the number one thing I think that it comes down to. Uh, is is um, is wins, you know, and, and, and guys that and a quarterback that can lead a team to wins. So what can what can the Bucks do for Jameis this offseason to help ensure that he is successful? Well, I know Arians, you know, and, and Light would never ever, you know, want to tank. Um, now the Bucks did tank to draft Jameis, but you know they, they don't want to tank and, 
Arians' first year. They wanted to win as many games as possible. You know, I think Bruce views the team as sort of a 10-win team, looks at a couple games with missed field goals, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, had the had Jameis not pulled off that insane comeback against the Colts, and had they lost that game, they would be in position probably to grab one of the top two offensive tackles in either Andrew Thomas out of Georgia or Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. And that those players would be a godsend for, for Tampa because they're, they really desperately need a new right tackle. DeMar Dotson probably isn't coming back. He may retire. Um, and they just have an issue with that side of the line. You know, Jameis takes a beating game in and game out. He, he's towards the top of the league, and quarterback hurries, quarterback hits, quarterback sacked. And it's been that way his whole career. Um, on top of that, they can't run the football. Ronald Jones has a ton of talent. I think that, that, that kid has special talent, but he, there's very few holes for him to run through. Mm-hmm. And so the offensive line is their primary need, in, in my view. However, sitting at the 14th pick, I expect Andrew Thomas and Tristan Wirfs to both be off the board. And I think Jedrick Wills may also be off the board. If that happens, the Bucks are going to be sitting there, and I, I don't think they're going to reach on a guy like, like Alex Leatherwood, who's maybe like a you know a bottom-of-the-first-round type guy. Um, and they'll pro- my guess is they would probably go with a defensive lineman, somebody like Javon Kinlaw or A.J. Boneza, maybe even a safety like um, like Delpit from mm-hmm. LSU. Yeah. So now those aren't going to help Jameis per se, but you know they would help the team. Um, I, I do trust Light. I, I know he's he's got some swings and misses, um, and I know when I say that, people say, "Well, that means you are Light." You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't. It's, yeah. it's just mm-hmm. that I look I look around the league and I don't compare people to ideals that I have in my head. I compare them to their peers, and most GMs swing and miss quite a bit. Bill Belichick has swung and missed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. Um, I think I think Jason Light has a solid resume as far as his picks go. You know, now. Whether that's going to translate to wins or not, we'll see. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's all the time we've got here. Thank you so much, uh, Jameis101, for coming on for this interview. It's a great, great chance to be able to talk to you a little bit. My pleasure, man. It was, it was fun. Yeah, well, I'll be, I'll be sure to help you out. Um, I mean, not that you need any help, but when those, when the people come on Twitter, I'll, I'll have a couple of my own stats packed away. I'll try and find. I'll, I'll, I'll order your book, read your book. And then be ready with a couple stats when when the people come at you. Uh, but <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, like I said, Jameis Winston derangement syndrome: how media bias causes us to overlook the start of a Hall of Fame NFL career. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, I'm probably gonna go order it right now. Week 17 in the NFL season is officially over. There's only 12 teams left in the running, while the other 20 are getting ready for the NFL offseason. My team included. But like I said in the intro and in the episode description, we're going to be ranking the 12 teams that are left based off of how much you should trust them, but really based off of how much I trust them. Uh, So let's go ahead and start. Number 12 is the Minnesota Vikings. Part of this is due to the fact that they have to play the Saints, a team that you'll see a lot higher up on this list. Uh, All three of the top NFC teams finished 13-3, which meant somebody had to host a wildcard game and it turned out to be the Saints. And the Vikings are just the unfortunate team that gets to play them. Uh, But we'll talk about the Saints later. Let's talk about the Vikings right now. Um, Their biggest pro is their their offense. I mean, they've done really well this year. Um, Kirk Cousins has shown signs of growth. They went through a stretch, uh, I think they were 2-2, and where it looked like everything was going to fall apart. They're talking about getting rid of Kirk Cousins. uh, But he rebounded, had a really good uh, end of the season, but now it's playoff time, and 
I just I can't trust Kirk Cousins. Um, Dalvin Cook, not exactly sure on his injury status, but if he's unable to go or if he's anything less than 100%, it'll really hurt their chances. Um, just unfortunate that they have to play the Saints, I think. That's really what it comes down to. Um, they're a good team, not great, but in the NFC, there's five great teams at this point. I mean, that's just what it, what it's come come to be. And the Vikings aren't one of them. So they're the team that's most likely to get knocked out in the first round um, and why they're number 12 on my trust rankings. Number 11 on the rankings, I actually expect to put up a really good fight and potentially stay in their game, but ultimately uh, it, it'll be tough to pull it out. But that's the Tennessee Titans at 11. The Titans have done a really good job this year of getting Ryan Tannehill to a career season, a career year for him. Uh, Derrick Henry's run the ball really well. A.J. Brown's looking like the top rookie of the year candidate after a strong last four weeks. Um, the defense is always strong, and Mike Vrabel really saved his season in what could have been something a lot worse, uh, making the move from Mariota to Tannehill. Um, they're playing the Patriots week one in wildcard weekend, and it's going to be tough. The Patriots obviously coming off of a loss to the Dolphins, uh, which means one of two things. They're either not good anymore or or they're going to be really hungry for a win going into wildcard weekend. Um, there's a chance that they get hot. I mean, Derrick Henry could rush for 200 yards at the drop of a hat. Uh, A.J. Brown, 125 receiving yards, and Tannehill could throw for 300. Um, that's that's really the key to the game if the offense can, can finish and win this big game because they need it. Um, obviously, they got into a playoffs playing the Texans, who were st- resting most of their starters, went up against A.J. McCarron at quarterback, so a lot left to be desired um, and still haven't won that one big game, you know, that, that game changer. They've got a chance to do it against the Patriots. It's pretty unlikely, but not impossible. Um, but they're Team 11 and who I trust. Next up at number 10 is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have gone through a lot this year, uh, just injury-wise, losing almost every meaningful player that's on their roster right now. But somehow they snuck their way into the playoffs. But while they're here, the road is going to be tough. Wildcard Weekend pits them against the Seattle Seahawks, who are obviously a really talented team and just missed out on getting, winning their division and hosting a Wildcard Weekend playoff game. They do have the benefit of hosting this game against the Seahawks, but obviously, like I said, a slew of injuries is going to make it really tough. They've gotten a lot of production out of Boston Scott, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, and that's pretty much been their entire offense with a little bit of uh, Greg Ward and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside sprinkled in. But Carson Wentz has a chance to do something really special. I mean, the last two years when the Eagles have put together their playoff runs, Carson Wentz has been hurt, and it's been Nick Foles leading the charge. But Carson Wentz got the big game win against the Cowboys that essentially clinched the division and then knocked it home against the Giants in Week 17 to solidify their spot. So Carson Wentz, many people believe, is still a top-tier quarterback. He hasn't looked the strongest so far this season. I mean, he's come in spurts, and obviously you can blame injuries to Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, a lot of their offensive line. But Carson Wentz is going to have to show up. You can't make excuses. Come playoff time, it's it's win or go home. And I'd say so far, I mean, the Eagles have a good chance. The Seahawks are a little bit banged up too, obviously not as much uh, as what the Eagles have right now, but it, it, it's going to be a good game. I don't want to underestimate what the Eagles are capable of. I still think the Seahawks are the better team, but with home field advantage, really anything could go, but 
that's my number 10. Number nine is a close one. I actually have the eight and nine teams playing each other this wildcard weekend. Uh, but coming in at nine, I have the Buffalo Bills. The Bills missed out on a golden chance to clinch the division, oh, losing to the Patriots in week 16. And now they're traveling on the road to Houston to play the Texans. Now, the case for the Bills to win this game makes a lot of sense. The Texans have always played bad in the playoffs, can't seem to get it done. Um, and the Bills have a fantastic top five defense. But quarterback is going to be a big question. I mean, I love Josh Allen. For fantasy football purposes, he's a great pickup, a great guy to have. But he hasn't really been able to get it done. I mean, he made some big throws in the Patriots game. But ultimately, he let him down to the 10-yard line, and he couldn't score. Will that happen in the play, in, in this game here with the with the Texans? I'm not entirely sure. I don't know what's going to happen, but Josh Allen needs more receivers. Uh, maybe if they can get Devin Singletary going, take a lot of pressure off of Josh Allen. But still, there's a lot. To, there's a lot that they're asking him to do with a pretty subpar uh, supporting cast in this one. But I like their chances. I think it's close, uh, and given that. They're going on the road makes it a bit tougher. J.J. Watt's coming back for the Texans. But there's a chance the Bills win this game. And winning this game essentially would mean that they're going to play the Ravens, a team that they lost by only a touchdown to uh, a couple weeks prior. So the Bills do have a really good shot in this one, but I just like the Texans a little bit more. And like I said, the next team on the list would be the team playing them. That's the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson's taken a couple of really big steps this year, coming through in big games for his team, and being the franchise quarterback everyone expected him to be, but at a continued pace. He'd be in the MVP conversation if Lamar Jackson literally wasn't running away with it at this point. But Texans have the four seed. They have a couple big wins over the Patriots and the Chiefs, and now they're going into a spot in the season where they really haven't had a lot of success. Obviously losing to the Colts, 21-7 last year, even though they won the AFC South. Um, but they're really taking, looking to make that next step. Coming in at the fourth seed, they'd ideally play the uh, Ravens if they win. And they just really need to take care of business in this one. First and foremost, uh, because Bill O'Brien probably isn't going to get re-signed if they keep one and dunning it in the playoffs, much like Marvin Lewis with the Bengals. So look for the running game to get going. J.J. Watt's going to be back. Uh, and their defense is fantastic, uh, and the Bills don't have the best offense. So I really like the Texans' chances in this one, um, and they're going to need all hands on deck, including smart coaching, in order to win their first playoff game uh, of this 2019 season and hopefully continue to drive deeper into January. At number seven, we have the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, they've gone through a ton of injuries, uh, with themselves losing their top three running backs but seem to have found a guy in homer and obviously uh you know what marshawn lynch is capable of never want to doubt russell wilson what he's able to do uh, but this was a surprise for me week 17 they had a chance to clinch their division uh the seahawks had won 10 out of 11 of their games decided by one point and then they just lost their second one at this point in the season um inches away really very close but now they're going into Philadelphia to play the Eagles, a team that fortunately for them is a lot more banged up than they are at this point. Um, I like them in this one. I think there's a really good chance they win this game. And after that, let's see, they would go probably play San Francisco. And the reason why I've got them at seven at this point is because not only do I think they have a chance to win 
their um, wildcard weekend game, but they also have a really good chance to win their divisional round game. We haven't seen a strong offensive performance from the 49ers yet coupled with a strong defensive performance. I mean, if, if you remember last night's game, the 49ers held the Seahawks scoreless through halftime, which is incredible. Great, fantastic for them. But their offense only put up 13 points. Uh, you really have to be able to put the game away when, and get both sides of the ball clicking. Uh, but we'll cover the 49ers in a bit. I do have them really high on this list for reasons I'll explain later. But the Seahawks have a favorable path mainly because they don't have to play in Lambeau, in the Superdome, until at least the conference championship round, where at that point, I mean, with Russell Wilson on your side, there's a lot that can go wrong, but there's also a lot that can go right because he is that guy that can win you a lot of games. So Seahawks, I really like them in this one against the Eagles, and who knows how far that they'll continue to go, uh, but probably no home games for them, which is okay because I think they're like 7-1 and one on the season on the road, so they probably like it out there better anyways. But yeah, number 7, the Seattle Seahawks. Now, number 6 may be a bit of a surprise, but let me explain myself a little bit. I've got the Packers here in this one, and you may be wondering, well, how can a team with the first round bye be the 6th seed uh, in, in your power rankings? But it's honestly because I think the Packers may be one of the worst 13-3 and teams ever to play football. I mean, the games that they've won have been way too close, uh, and it, and I don't even, I don't know how. It really makes no sense. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was awful in that game against the Lions. He turned it on late. They snuck out a win there. Um, I don't know. I just, obviously injuries to wide receiver. They missed Devontae Adams for a bit, but now he's back. Uh, and I just don't, I don't like the way they're playing. I don't think they will win games in the postseason. I mean, ideally, if everything works out, which likely they should, they'll be playing the pack or they'll be playing the Saints in Lambeau uh, for that divisional round. And I fully expect the Saints to go in there and win this game because they're high up on this list. I'm, you know, I don't want to give it away just yet, but they're pretty, pretty high. Um, I don't know. I just. It's amazing to me that the Packers have pulled out 13 wins. Uh, their defense looked good in the first half of the season, but now they look really bad, like not good at all. And I don't expect them to get out of the divisional round. That would be fantastic for them, but it seems pretty close to impossible. In at number five, the New England Patriots. Now, they're coming off one of the worst seasons or worst losses I think they've had in quite a long time, losing to the Dolphins as time expired in Foxborough. Uh, and because of that, they sacrificed the number two seed. They sacrificed a bye week. They sacrificed what would be home field advantage, at least through uh, the divisional round, maybe even the conference championship game. But now that's all gone. They'll host the Titans at home, a team that's been red hot as of late, looking really good. But you can't ever doubt the Patriots. I don't think anyone should ever... Uh, even consider doing it at this point I mean yeah almost every spot on their team is struggling Stefan Gilmore got burned by Devontae Parker and was what what was his worst game as a New England Patriot since joining the team um, but Bill Belichick Tom Brady Julian Edelman guys that have been there done it before um, and defensively I mean this is still a top five defense whether or not you want to call them one of the greatest defenses of all time is up to you I mean that's fine I think they've really regressed as of late Obviously, allowing 27 to the Dolphins, not ideal. But they've got a lot to like, and that's why they're number five. I think 
realistically, going into it, they're probably going to beat the Titans, barring something unexpected. And it'll be a tough game in Arrowhead against the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs have looked really good, but we'll get to them in a little bit. Patriots in at number five. There's two rules I always want to abide by uh, being at this point in the NFL season uh, in, in watching the NFL is always trust the Patriots and Tom Brady, never count them out, and never trust Kirk Cousins. Those are the two things that I've learned in my experience as a football fan, and they should carry as well in this year's playoffs. All right, now we're getting into the final four of the rankings, teams that I think are probably going to be going to the conference championship game and probably the Super Bowl just based off of what we've seen so far this season. And coming in at number four is the Kansas City Chiefs. We've seen a lot of improvement on them of them on the defensive side of the ball. I think over the last five games or something, holding teams to under 20 points, averaging like 12 a game, I think it is. I don't remember the stat offhand, but really fantastic what they've been able to do. I mean, Mahomes is getting into it. You've got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Miko Hardman, Damian Williams, weapon after weapon on the offensive side of the ball. And now the defense is matching that too. And that's a dangerous combination coming into uh, this postseason. Obviously, with the Dolphins beating the Patriots, the Chiefs will now host the Patriots instead of vice versa. Obviously, like I said, barring something unexpected there. And then inevitably, they're going to have to play the Ravens. But at least they get one game, uh, one rest, one week of rest, one game at home before they have to do that. And they look really good. I mean, this Chiefs team could surprise. I know I have them at number four, but... The way they've been playing these last few weeks, we could see them in the Super Bowl, which would be uh, really cool for those fans, especially just missing out on it last season. But this is a lot better Chiefs team than what we saw last season. Coming in at number three, we have the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, The 49ers played a close one against the Seahawks and inevitably won the division and the number one seed going into uh, the postseason. I really love their run game. Fantastic, like four guys that can really kill you with the run game. Mostert, Breida, um, Tevin Coleman. I'm forgetting the other one, but uh, yeah, really good and defensively fantastic. Front seven, it's not even arguable. It's I mean, it's the best front seven in football, what they've been able to do there. Um, credit to Robert Sal- Sala. I really do think he should be getting head coaching calls, if not a job next year, with the way he's been able to motivate his players, get the defense going, and inevitably clinching the number one seed for the 49ers. Now, they've won some big games, but they're largely still untested as a team. Jimmy G hasn't really seen um, playoff experience, a whole lot of it, uh, other than, you know, obviously sitting on the bench watching Tom Brady win, win a couple Super Bowls. But he himself hasn't done enough yet to where I'm comfortable putting them in that top two, which is, you know, really teams that I think are going to go to the Super Bowl at this point. Um, they could surprise us, but the other thing is home field. I mentioned it before. San Francisco, the 49ers stadium isn't as dangerous a place to play as, say, CenturyLink or Lambeau or the Superdome, and that could come with time. I mean, the more fans come in there, the more crazy it gets, the better experiences they have, but Lambeau's cold, Seattle's loud, New Orleans is loud, the 49ers is favorable stadiums. I mean, favorable weather conditions. They're loud, but not not you know at that top tier. I guess is what what I'm saying. So Jimmy G is largely untested, and home field. Yeah, they get to play at home, but it's a big question mark. So it remains to be seen what he can do. 
but I really like what the 49ers have done this season, obviously proving a lot of people wrong, and I'm excited for their run in the playoffs. Now at number two, the Baltimore Ravens. Now I know I probably should be putting them at number one, but they're still I'm still reserved. I'm not ready to go fully on the bandwagon just yet with Lamar Jackson. I mean, I think in coming years, teams are going to adjust. He's going to have to figure some stuff out. If Greg Roman's not there, uh, you know, he takes a coaching job. I know he interviewed with, or he's going to interview with the Browns. Um, that could hamper his game a lot. But this season alone, I still think he's untested. I mean, they haven't truly played in a lot of games where he's needed to drive them down the field. But credit to them in large part, that's been because they've been able to shut teams out and really keep it from being a close game whatsoever. So in this postseason, I really do think we're going to see a lot of close, a lot more close games. Um, I've probably the best prediction I've got is uh, they'll be playing the bills in the divisional round. And then it's chiefs or Patriots. I really do like the chiefs more just a little bit in that one, but they're probably going to be playing one or two close games before they get to the Super Bowl. Uh, and can Lamar Jackson win those big games? I don't know yet. I mean, we'll see what happens. No one, no one knows for sure. But coming in at number two, the Baltimore Ravens. And finally, at number one, the three seed in the NFC, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, they're the most balanced team in the league. The best quarterback, running back, wide receiver trio in Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas. And I, I mean, I don't even think it's close. Um, the, the worst con I can come up with them for them is that they don't have a buy or home field advantage, uh, but they went 13 and three. I mean, what really can you ex- more can you expect of them? They're peaking at the right time. Uh, they're playing a team that doesn't really do well in um, big games under quarterback Kirk Cousins in the Vikings. And then in round two, they win that. They're playing a team that I don't I think is one of the worst 13 and three teams we've ever seen in the Packers. And then, if all else works out, they're playing the 49ers, a team that's pretty untested and going into not that intimidating place to play. So their path to the Super Bowl seems pretty pretty set. I wouldn't say it's easy because the NFC is obviously the tougher division, uh, a tougher conference, and no games are entirely easy. But the Saints look really good right now. They're peaking. They're looking like the best team, which is exactly why I have them ranked at number one. Uh, and there you go. There's my rankings. I'll put it on Twitter. I'll keep them the same. Maybe I'll adjust as, you know, obviously I'll eliminate teams and I can adjust as things uh, move around a little bit if I see something different in uh, this wildcard weekend. But that's my list going into the wildcard weekend. And let me get into my predictions. I've hinted at them a little bit, but wildcard weekend, I've got the Texans over the Bills, the Patriots over the Titans, the Seahawks over the Eagles, and the Saints over the Vikings. Uh, let me let me look at the hang on. Let me check the line here. So it looks like opening Texans are minus three over the Bills. I like the Bills plus three. I will say it. I think it's going to be a close one. Uh, maybe the Bills sneak out a victory, but I feel like that's really safe putting plus three on the Bills. Um, over under thirty eight and a half. Hmm. I always with the Bills. I always am like ah, they can get there. They really can't. I like the under, and I think in playoff games, people score a lot less. So Bills uh, Bills plus three, and then under 38.5. Then we got Titans at Patriots, minus four, and the over-under is 40. Mm, Patriots minus four. I think that's the way to go. 
Um, over under 40, uh, I, I think the Titans are going to score, and if the Patriots win, they're going to have to score two. So I like the over over 40 in this one. I mean, that gets both teams at 20 points. That seems pretty likely. Uh, Vikings at Saints, minus seven. Saints minus seven. I mean, come on. It's not going to be close. It's going to be a blowout for the Saints. And then over under 44 and a half. Mm, I think it's going to be such a blowout that the Vikings won't be able to put points up. And I like the under. It's going to be like 28, 31 to 10, maybe. Um, so, yeah, the under on that one. And then Seahawks, Eagles, Eagles minus one. I mean, Seahawks plus one is fantastic. And money line too, just throw them all, all on there. The over-under is 45 and a half. Uh, I just don't think, I don't think the Eagles have the talent to score more than 20 points realistically at this point. I mean, it'd be great if they could, but the Seahawks are a good de- defensive team. Uh, so I like the under in that one. So to recap, we've got Bills plus three, under 38 and a half, Patriots minus four, what did I say? I forgot. Over 40, that's right. Saints minus seven, under 44 and a half. And then Seahawks plus one, under 45 and a half. So a lot of unders in this one. Um, but I feel like that's always how playoff games go. But before we end the show, I sent out a poll on my Instagram just to do a little bit of an AMA to end our one year with the Not Gonna Lie podcast. And you guys sent in some good questions. So let me pull them up here. Who is the quarterback of the future of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Mm. I mean, it's tough. Gardner Minshew looked really good against the Colts week 17. Um, Nick Foles is on a really big contract, but he hasn't looked like the guy that they want him to be. Um, Maybe shop him around teams like the Bears, the Panthers, uh, that could use a quarterback and maybe would be willing to give a fourth or fifth round pick just to get some value out of him. Um, I think that's the best route to go. I like Minshew. I mean, for obvious reasons, coming out of Washington State. Um, but he seems to be the guy that they could build an offense around. I mean, he's on a cheap rookie deal because I think six-round picks are, they don't get a, lo- they don't get a whole lot of money. Um, but he's looked solid enough so far. I think he had like 21 touchdowns, a little over 3,000 yards. He should be in the rookie of the year race. I don't think he's going to win it, but at least in the conversation. Um, so that's where I would go if I'm Jacksonville. But... I mean, we don't know. There's going to be new new coach coming in. Likely, Doug Marone is probably going to be fired. So we'll see what happens there. Um, okay, we'll keep it with keep it with quarterback futures in the AFC South. Is Jacoby Brissett the future quarterback for the Colts? Going into the Jacksonville game, I wanted to think so because he was put in a tough situation. Andrew Luck retired two weeks before the season. I mean, yeah, he knew the offense, but there it wasn't an offense really built around him. And going into the last week, you know, I was really set on maybe we give him another chance. Um, But week 17, he was essentially playing for his job. It was an audition. uh, And everybody knows, especially in musical numbers, the first note and the last note are going to be what really everybody remembers. And Jacoby did not go out on a good note, losing two fumbles in like the span of three plays, which really broke the game wide open for the, um, the Jaguars. I mean, he's... He plays it safe, but he almost plays it too safe, and that leads him to make the wrong decisions. And I feel like we're close to the playoffs. If a guy like Jordan Love, like Anthony Gordon, we can get him in the second round. I like that because I think Jacoby Brissett got it bad with injuries. I mean, yes, he wasn't the best decision maker, but he's throwing to Zach Pascal, Marcus Johnson, 
uh, T.Y. Hilton when he was healthy, um, Ebron when he was healthy, Jack Doyle. He doesn't have the best targets. So in a perfect world, we go wide receiver in the first round. Um, and then in the second round, with that Redskins pick, maybe we take a quarterback. What made you want to start podcasting about sports or just podcasting in general? Um, I don't really... Mm, that's a good question. I, I don't know if there was ever a point where I was like, you know, it's my dream to start a podcast. I think I was playing... Uh, we were playing Madden. It was with my friend Sabby. And we were just talking like sports, you know, like just a casual conversation. And he mentioned how... Uh, maybe I should start a podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know, an idea that I should consider. Um, and then I think I got some Christmas money, and I was like, you know what, let's just order a mic. I got a, a Audio-Technica ATR2100 USB mic, um, and so the, and with the USB port to plug right into the computer, and I just started making episodes. Um, and then I, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun got to interview a lot of really cool people um make a lot of experiences and it's just it's just interesting like at the end of the day um i mean i'm starting a new podcast the shallow dive a uh, little plug there episodes dropped january 6th check it out we take 15 minutes a, uh, a week to talk about one topic in the sports industry it's really cool hoping to get a lot of really fun guests on there and it's short i mean it's you know the length of your drive to work at, at most um and that I'm, you know, I'm going to be starting that one, but I still want to do, uh, not going to lie, because I enjoy just talking sports. I feel like at this point, it's it's a casual, um, it's just a casual conversation. Like it's a conversation between friends, but instead, I've got a microphone on me, and it's podcasting. You know, I'm I'm putting it out there to the world. So I guess the reason why I got into podcasting is I thought it would be interesting, and the reason I stayed. Um, is because it's fun. I mean, I love sports. I love talking about sports. And it's just a fun, like, little side hobby that who knows where it'll lead to. I mean, what doors it could open up at this point. Uh, but let's keep it moving. Favorite episode? Mm, I really, I have to say Keith Hornsby, that first one, because, I mean, I'd had interviews with athletes before, and they were fantastic. Like, I loved having them on. But th the conversation with Keith, I think, felt the most normal and part of that, I mean, 100% has to do with him and his personality. Um, I love love talking to him, but I think the interviewing, um, you know, my first few, it was like, whoa, I'm talking to some guys that have a pretty substantial um, following and that sort of thing. And, there, you know, there were obviously a little bit of nerves there, but with Keith, it was just, it was the closest to a normal conversation that I'd had and I think I've had since. I mean, we obviously had him on a second time um, and I feel like that one went really well just because, you know, it's we're just catching up uh, over, you know, over the last nine months or whatever since we'd last had him on. So that was really cool. Um, okay, let's, let's see. Where are you taking the podcast in 2020? Uh, well, I've said to people when talking about it that 2020 is going to be uh, the marketing year, right? So we've we've established content. We put some some cool episodes together, some cool guests, and now I really want to do a better job of spreading the word out there. Uh, and you know whether that's the shallow dive and getting the shallow dive to succeed because it is, I mean, it's something that not a lot of people are doing, and it's I feel like an interesting niche if I can get it successful. But um, yeah, just getting the word out there, saying hey, this is a podcast. Uh, where it's just fun talking about sports, various guests, um, and 
not super long, you know, once a week for an hour, you break it up. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that's kind of the goal in 2020 to market it a little bit more, figure out some techniques that could help spread the word. Um, and obviously, 100% thank you to all of your support and everyone who's listened so far. It means a lot and it is what it really is what's keeping me going because I feel like if, you know, I'm getting two listeners a week, it's tough to to keep putting episodes out, but because of you know the the people that have listened and you know I can see um, that support is really cool but yeah I think yeah I guess that's that's it that's the last question we've got there but thank you guys again so much for listening over this past year uh, really cool experience and I'm looking forward to a new year with more guests uh, and a lot of fun so peace out guys we'll see you in 2020.